Jonathan Ames, thank you so much for letting me take the time and come over and chat about the new book, The Little Doll. Um, well, thank you for being here. We all sound, we sound so formal. We've been chatting, if any, for those of you who hear this as a podcast, so now, but we're being formal at the start. And the squeaky sound is my dog, Fezzik. Kyler uh, gave him like this sweet toy, this thing that holds squirrels, or not real squirrels. And, uh, and so anyway, he's sitting in Kyler's lap being very affectionate. And, um, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, he's, so, so he's part of the interview. He's, a, <laughs> yeah, so physics in my lap right now, and it, it's a very calming, and, uh, yeah, a wonderful, <laughs> so it makes me, I have three dogs, so this is great having, I always have a dog at my side, so this makes me feel very comfortable and good. Uh, so, yeah, we, Will Doll um, recently came out. And we've talked before uh, about the first book, A Man Named All. Um, this is the second in the series. Maybe you could just tell our listeners a bit about the book, and we can go from there. Well, yeah, like you said, it's the second in the series. I, I hope there'll be more if I'm able to write more. Uh, yeah, so A Man Named All introduced, or I created this character named Happy Doll, who's a, a private detective in Los Angeles. Um, and uh, he's, a, he's a sensitive fellow, but sort of a little bit big and strong. Uh, it's very much an homage to all the detective novels I've read and loved over the years. And, uh, and so then uh, The Wheel of Doll picks up, uh, I guess, six months after the action of a man named Dahl, roughly six to nine months. And it's sort of his next adventure. Um, he's a little bit low on money and uh, he takes a case that leads to all sorts of suffering and revelation. <laughs> I guess that's a general <laughs> description. And uh, yeah, and, and uh, the wheel of Dahl will get into it you know, as a sort of Buddhist reference, because um, uh, Happy in this book has begun to uh, study Eastern philosophies and specifically Buddhism as a way to deal with some of the terrible things that had happened chronicled in the first book. Um, and he has a dog <coughs> named George who bears an uncanny similarity. It's probably the only bit of the book that Hughes to some reality, uh, based on Fezzik, uh, a dog named George, who is just crawling all over Kyler right now. <laughs> he's, so. he's showing me all the squirrels. He's bringing them to me. He's yeah. Showing them off. Mm. I guess I would just like to talk more about the character, Happy, um, mm. now that we're, you know, we see him in another um, adventure mm. or mystery. Um, yeah, well, I mean, one of the things with this character is he has friends, but I guess sort of like the, you know, Philip Marlowe character, Raymond Chandler wrote some essay about his, about Marlowe creating this almost chivalrous knight. And 
and and I think there was something about he's like an isolated man or he's a loner, you, you know, and he has friends, but I don't know that Marlowe gets too close to anybody, it seems. Like one of the people he was closest to, in a way, was the character from The Long Goodbye, whose name I'm forgetting. And this was a guy he just happened to see a few times, always drunk, but helped him out. And then they sort of had this acquaintanceship for about a year where they would meet for drinks and then the guy disappears. Oh, his name is on the tip of my tongue. But anyway, so Happy has various friends, but I don't know that he's too close to anyone. He's, he's rather broken inside. And I think the name originally came out of, I once was coming up with fake noir titles and, and I think it was for my graphic novel, The Alcoholic, because in that book, the, the narrator and the character, who's not me, but somewhat based on me, but in that book, the character is a pulp writer. And I had my friend, the illustrator, Dean Haspiel, <clears throat> draw covers of this writer's pulp books. And it was fun coming up with the titles. I'd have to pull that book off the shelf. I don't remember my own titles, fake titles, but I was always obsessed with pulp novels and the hard-boiled titles. And I think one of the titles, though I, I don't think I used in the book, I, I wanted like this very pulpish title, A Broken Doll Plays No More. You know, but it's like too much. But maybe Broken Doll, which actually could be a future doll title, because in the series I'm thinking of having every book have the word doll in it in the way that John D. MacDonald, who wrote these Travis McGee mysteries, has like a color in every title um but anyway so his name he was born his parents named him happy doll for many years of his life he went by hank doll in this book the wheel of doll he decides to drop the hank and not be embarrassed anymore about the name that his parents gave him they didn't realize that it would be a burden but i think it all goes back to there's a long-winded way of saying that he's a broken doll. Um, he's an ex-cop. He was in the Navy. He had a very difficult childhood. His mother died in childbirth, which kind of broke his father. And the father, I guess, you know, to use the overused modern word, may have been abusive, but he was also alcoholic and just heartbroken himself. And so this really shaped young happy. And, um, and so... And then later in life, as revealed in the first book, A Man Named Doll, he goes into psychoanalysis uh, through an organization that, uh, an analytic organization that gives free psychoanalysis to ex-cops and ex-military. Otherwise, he wouldn't be able to afford it, even because he doesn't even have health insurance, but he goes four times a week to an analyst. So he's trying to heal himself, to heal his heart, and so he does have a lot of love for the world um, and it expresses itself in terms of being a detective and trying to help others um, but the, the main way he's able to show his love at least at this point in his life is towards his dog and though in the book the wheel of doll a former love comes into his life and so we get to see more of happy's heart in that sense in this book um, so, 
Yeah, and anyway, it's all about him being a broken doll. It, it was definitely, not, it, it was cool to see him outside of, of Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, I love the Hollywood element of it, but it is always cool to see when you're, when you're, favorite characters kind of like interacting with uh, a lot of unknowns he's not familiar with the area so yeah. that opens up all kinds of new uh, interesting things yeah I thought that would be fun I, I like it in um, I think it's the Ross McDonald detective series uh, about Lou Archer the character often will go to another city or you know or certainly goes to Vegas a lot or into Nevada or different cities you know he'll go obviously Santa Barbara a lot uh, in the Lou Archer series so I, I think it's fun for the character to on his in his mission to leave home turf and then come back you know keep it LA centric but also get to hear his impressions of another place and just for the people listening but um, Kyler and my dog are just really having quite quite the romance. He's just like stroking his Kyler stroking Fezzik's ears, and Kyler did ask, "Does he do this to everyone?" And I I I was blunt saying that Fezzik is very loving to other people, and I get a kick out of seeing him do this. And in the book, uh, Happy alludes to it that you know the that the George dog will often give his affections to others and it sort of wounds happy, you know, it's like if this was like a who's afraid of Virginia Woolf play, it's like, oh my God, he's flirting with someone else? This is outrageous. <laughs> no, my but, dogs are the same way. They, hmm. you know, they, it's like a new lap to sit on, new smells, smells. like different, different massage technique. Um, and also, it's his way of welcoming you into our little den. Our little, his den. This whole house is his, covered in his dog hair, his toys everywhere. Yeah, he's sweet. Uh, maybe I could ask you, so you just got back from um, a mystery convention? Yeah. I'd love to hear about that in Minnesota. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, it's called BoucherCon. They have it every year. Not... In Minnesota, I guess it moves to different cities. And next year it's going to be in San Diego, which will be good for me. I can just drive there. But, um, yeah, it was like a really sweet thing to attend uh, because I, I don't know how many people were there, maybe a thousand or more attendees, oh, wow. um, but all fans of mystery books. Mm -hmm. And then you had uh, lots of authors doing panels and discussions, I, I think over three or four days. And then there were award ceremonies for various mystery writing awards, and then people would gather around this bar at night and, you know, uh, talk about books or, you know, where they might represent like a, a small mystery press and it was just really I don't know I love books books are my life have always been my dearest friends and so to be around people who are really into books like for example I saw a guy walking down the street the hotel where it was taking place there were like two hotels one where I stayed 
and then there was the hotel where most of the people stayed where the you know convention stuff was happening for whatever reason I was down the street in another hotel and walking to the convention the first afternoon I was there there's a guy walking with a t-shirt with a quote from a Ross McDonald novel I'm like where else will I see a fellow Ross McDonald fan wearing a t-shirt with a quote um so yeah I just really enjoyed it very much and um yeah that's great so you get to meet a lot of um people who love your work and um, I, I didn't necessarily meet a lot of people, not that I'm sort of new to the genre, mm-hmm. so I didn't actually meet too many people that had read like A Man Named Doll or my previous thriller, which was called You Were Never Really Here. But I, I, there was, there were, amongst some of the other mystery writers, they had read me and, and they had nice things to say, which was pleasant to hear. And then there were people I had read and... So it was kind of like, um, I don't know, it was like a gathering of like a, a union or something, like a plumber's union. And, you know, everyone was sort of talking shop a little bit. And, um, yeah, so it was, I really uh, I enjoyed it very much. And then from there, I drove to Milwaukee and gave a reading at a very nice bookstore in Milwaukee called a Boswell Book Company, I believe. I had done a virtual thing with them a year earlier for a man named doll and the pictures of the bookstore look so nice I wanted to visit it and so because I was in Minnesota I had the publisher reach out and Boswell very nicely arranged a reading for me so I drove four and a half hours across Minnesota and Wisconsin and then Milwaukee was a very beautiful little city I've never been there before but right on I think it's Lake Erie and some beautiful old architecture and I was staying in an area that had like canals, you know, maybe a runoff from the uh, lake and uh, a river. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, maybe, uh, no, I don't think it was the Mississippi. I saw the Mississippi in Minnesota, though. That was very, in Minneapolis, uh, which was also a very charming city. So it was sort of fun. I, I've not spent a lot of time in the Midwest, mm-hmm. and I've ne- never been to either of those cities, Minneapolis or Milwaukee. The Celebrity Center for the Church of Scientology is right down the street from here and just yesterday I drove past it and it's such a beautiful building. Oh, sorry, we're going to hear a garbage truck outside, but I'll shout. Um, and, and this is also Raymond Chandler country all around here, Franklin Avenue. In fact, one of his stories, there's a house he describes, it's a story called... Uh, Try the Girl, which was uh, one of the stories that Chandler then used to re- uh, repurpose in his novels, uh, and he repurposed the story Try the Girl uh, into the novel Farewell My Lovely. But there's a house he describes in Try the Girl, which is right up the street here, and I often see it. It's this beautiful little Spanish house that is on the side of a hill and he describes it beautifully and then he and oftentimes Marlowe lived in some apartment buildings along Franklin or other characters do and he often describes going to hotels mostly more in the short stories and so 
Raymond Chandler slash Philip Marlowe would have driven past the Celebrity Center, and I don't know the history behind it, but it must have been an incredibly grand hotel at one time. It's a gorgeous building, and there's a couple of old hotels along here. Uh, so it's interesting, just yesterday I drove past that, and I was sort of, in my mind, time-traveling, imagining when it was a hotel. Um, and, yeah, and as for A Man's Search for Meaning... For years, people have told me to read the book. It's had great impact on people. And I was somewhat not, I get, you know, sometimes you're resistant when a book gets recommended a lot, but also uh, maybe I was scared of it. And finally, I think it was sometime during COVID, I like to read books with some spiritual import in the morning as a way to start my day. I was like, I've got to finally read A Man's Search for Meaning. And I was reading it, and it's, it was so painful to read. Um, and I, I'm Jewish myself. Um, you know, I'm uh, family members, of course, that I never met. Probably, you know, 30 or 40 people, that I, cousins and uncles, all died. And, uh, in fact, I got an email the other day, a list of names on my father's side of the family, you know, people that they knew had perished. And so, it was, and so it's very easy to imagine, of course, one can empathize with any horror, but reading this just felt so close to home again. And it just, the nightmare of it and these nightmares are happening all the time throughout millennia this but this was you know basically it was like a, a serial killer got a you know in charge of the at the time the most powerful country in Europe and you know killed 12 million people you know gypsies Jews anybody um, and so, anyway, I, I, I had to put it down. So, actually, I'm going away this weekend, and, and I, I'm not going to... I thought maybe I might try to write, but I think I'm just going to read all weekend. So, I, that's one, I think maybe I'll grab that again and finally finish it, because it's not a long book. But I was just finding it too painful to read. Uh, the utter dehumanization. Um, because the... I think the book is divided into two parts. The first part is the suffering, and then the second part is the, you know, well, the Buddha said, I teach only suffering and the transformation of suffering. So I think the a man's search for meaning might be structured in that way, that the first part is the suffering, and the second part is how Frankl transformed the suffering to find meaning, to find compassion, and, uh, and you know, and the way to, and the goal in transforming suffering is to become more compassionate and of greater service to other people, uh, or, and the planet itself, all life. And um, so, which Frankl, you know, as a, he was a therapist before the Holocaust, after the Holocaust, and then wrote this book that 
has given so much to people. Anyway, that's a long-winded way of saying I need to. I'm gonna I'm gonna finish it this weekend. It'll be a beautiful thing to do. Yeah, I just I just bought it because I I, hmm. I must have not had a copy. Hmm. Um, and then you you've turned me on to a writer or hmm. a so I'm probably getting her name wrong, but Pema Chodron. How do you say her name? Um, I, I'm not an expert on pronouncing it, but Pema Chodron. Hmm. Yeah. So hmm. thank you for you gave me a book. Um, a while back, just kind of like short excerpts, and hmm. it's something I keep on my bed stand hmm. and I read. Yeah, I think I have a copy right here. It's one of these little ones. It's yeah. called uh, the Pocket Pema yep. Chodron. I also have a Pocket Tich Nahan. Nice. Yeah. So she she's been someone I've um, I've got a couple more of her books, hmm. uh, and then I recently just got a very small one that's about um, I think it, uh, dealing with anger. Mm. I found very, very, very short, very mm. small. Oh, interesting. Um, and it's probably just uh, taken from one of the other books, I mm. would imagine. Mm. But it's like a pocket-sized mm. thing. So that's been um, it, um, very helpful to me. Not that I have mm. a huge anger problem, but I find sometimes when something bothers me, I have a hard time letting it go, and it just kind of sticks mm. in the cross. So, yeah, um, yeah uh, amazing stuff. And I think I, I love that you read things like that in the morning to kind of get you grounded and, and, and centered for the, for the day to come. Yeah, I, I don't do it every day, but I try to do uh, it, you know, for some reason, some mornings, but hopefully five mornings out of seven. And sometimes if I miss a morning, then and I try to restart my day in the afternoon. And I just read for 10 or 15 minutes. It's just sort of a coin, you know, reacquainting myself with certain concepts of you know acceptance letting go uh the breath being present um the dalai lama said he meditates on two things every day compassion and emptiness so compassion having compassion for yourself for others you know to you know we can be also cruel to ourselves and our minds so punitive so negative all the time and so first we have to learn to stop attacking ourselves and then have compassion for others, especially the people that trouble us. And to try to understand that usually they're troubling us because they're in pain in some way. Um, and, and then emptiness is, you know, a complicated Eastern concept, at least complicated for me, but it's more just recognizing the ephemerality of everything, the impermanence, that everything is shifting. So, you know, when you say stick in your qual, like you're holding on to something. What are you holding on to? You're just holding on to thoughts, right. which are totally empty. They're just in your mind. So if you generate them, you can ungenerate them. And these negative thoughts that you're holding on to as if they were real, but are they... But in a, and I read somewhere that it, emptiness, it's like emptiness of conflict, that everything ultimately... Now, of course, if someone's attacking you with a knife, that's not empty of conflict, but, it's, but so much of what it troubles us is just our own thinking. And, uh, and so if we can work with our thinking, we can suffer less. And if we suffer less, then we can be of greater service to others because we're not so obsessed with ourselves and our pain. Right. I, I picked up a new Pema Chodron book 
called uh, The Way We Live is the Way We Die. And it's very much, in a sense, this thing, because everything is impermanent and shifting and changing all the time, that we experience a, mi a million little deaths all the time. Like this conversation will end in a little while. And so that it came to be, and then it ends, and then you move on to the next thing. And so it's almost like recognizing that everything in life has a birth and a death. Maybe we can be ready for that huge physical transition from life into death. Um, but also it's also recognizing when you're having a good time, that will end, because a lot of times when people have a good time and then Oh, it ends and then they're sad, you know, but uh, such that even pleasure then can become pain. But if we, you know, there's just a way to try to abide uh, and sort of surf it all. Uh, the good times, the rough times. Anyway, I'm rambling again, but I really love uh, the books of Pema Chodron and anyone who's listening. Uh, the one... The gateway drug for me with Pema Chodron was uh, a book called uh, When Things Fall Apart. A lot of times people, that seems to be their first book of hers that they find because in something she says that, you know, we all fall apart at different times. Oh my God, you are so, so covered in dog hair. It's insane. I mean, I we'll he is picture. really shedding. We'll take a picture of this and have to post it. Oh, my God. I mean, shedding, shitting. I mean, he just sh shed shit. I mean, so much, like, his neck area is, is white. Oh, my God, you are just covered. I have one of those roller things. But I think it'll, I mean, I don't brush him enough. Oh, my God. Fezzik, you covered Kiger. What are you doing? It's a dog voice. Buddy, you're just shedding too much. <laughs> he's totally unaware. Now he's going back up to give you some more. <laughs> he's got two squirrels in his mouth. Kyler gave him this thing with these squirrels. And Fezzik has a very Freudian oral thing. He just loves to <laughs> stuff his mouth. I don't know if he was separated from his mother at too young an age. He's looking at me like... It did happen, but I don't know. I don't know what his life was before he met me. He was a rescue. I would have loved to have seen him as a puppy. Oh, my God. But There's one of the lines, um, I forget if it's this one or the first doll book, but um, I think it's the first one where he he talks about George and hmm. like how he got George. and he, hmm. I forget the line specifically, but I just I loved it. I remember showing my wife this. I'm like, this is the best... This is incredible. So it talks about, uh, like, that's a, something like that's a burden I'll have to, like, I, I won't know his his backstory. That's something I have to live with. Or, yeah, something like that. I, I remember the line, because I guess it's the way I feel about Fezzik. Yeah. I would have loved to have seen him as just oh, the little so thing, because he's so cute now. And when he was just a little thing, he must have been even cuter. <laughs> or, I don't know, not cuter, but just, oh, now he's licking you. And, you're getting everything um and <laughs> but he is so he's like so possessive uh but yeah and i also and i also don't know like why would anyone give him up because i think he was about a year old when he was found 
and the story I was told that he was like leashed to a fence or something, but he was left again. I don't know if this is apocryphal or not. Left near a dog run, I think, or left near a park. So my thing is, whoever left him leashed up there knew that maybe dog lovers were around. But right. gee, like just to leave him like that, and, the and then some, I guess, a uh, lady, an older lady, found him, took him home. You know, I don't know, maybe put flyers up, but then she, he got into the system. I don't think he had been neutered. So then I guess they neutered him, and then I don't think he was in a kill shelter, but I don't know. He was in the system. He got fostered and maybe adopted by some people that called him Fezzik, but they had a cat, and he didn't get along with the cat. So then he got back, put into the system, and I got a text. Could you foster this dog for a week? There's a gap. He's like come back into the system. And I saw a picture and I said, and it was one of those things, you know, where you hear say yes, you know. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to say yes. Because I hadn't had a dog since, you know, maybe 20 years before. And last time I had a dog and when he passed, the pain was so severe. And then I, and for years I was in New York and I didn't want to have a dog in New York on, you know, keep them in an apartment and I don't know how I would raise him in New York or not raise him be with him in New York because so many chicken bones on the street and so much stuff like oh my god it'd be so hard to walk him but anyway uh all this to say I fostered him but then within 24 hours I asked the people could I keep him and he at the time did not respond to the name Fezzik because he'd just gotten it at the previous house but the so he hadn't quite learned that name yet, but I really liked it. And it's a reference to the film A Princess Bride and the Andre the Giant character is someone named Fezzik. And that's kind of like Fezzik because he's smallish, but he's a huge personality, especially towards other dogs. And he's staring at me right now because he knows <laughs> I'm talking about him. And he keeps hearing his name. He has huge eyes. Anyway. Um, that's what, no, so it's really common for dogs that are about a year year and a half to be in shelters like mm. for whatever reason I don't know if they still have the puppy cuteness has worn off mm. and they're they're you know full grown but they still have the puppy energy mm. I don't know what it is but I've gotten two of my dogs from shelters and uh, just full of dogs that are about a year year mm. and a half two years yeah <laughs> <laughs> I um yeah. No, I can talk about dogs all day, sorry. <laughs> I heard you on a podcast called Depression Mode, which I, I really enjoyed that interview. So now I'm a fan of that guy's mm, podcast. That's He's, cool. Uh, so, yeah, some great interviews on that. Um, I love the title. But I don't know if it was there or, someone, or somewhere else that... Uh, uh, you mentioned, I think a reviewer said it, or maybe you said it, about how, like, this, the doll books are like the novels that the Jonathan Ames character from Bored to Death uh, would possibly write. Is that, is that, did I hear that somewhere, or am I making that yeah, up? I, yeah, I don't, I don't think I said it, maybe I read it in the review, or maybe I did say it, I don't know, but, um, yeah, I don't, I mean, that character... Yeah, again, that was my... I think the book he writes in the second season of Bored to Death... No, third season of Bored to Death 
is a pulp novel called The Blonde in the Woods, which might have been one of the crazy titles I had put in the graphic novel, The Alcoholic, but I'm not sure. I don't remember a lot of, you know, things I do. I did see a quote once from John Steinbeck. It says, like, once he puts a book on a shelf, it's over. Um, and, but, yeah, so I don't, that character, he was a silly fellow, and so I don't know that he would write these super hard-boiled things that uh, I'm writing in A Man Named Doll and The Wheel of Doll. Um, but uh, but it, that all just sort of speaks to that I've had this long-time fascination with wanting to be sort of a pulp writer or a detective novel writer. And, you know, it can be considered a genre that's not literary, and I'm not necessarily trying to be literary or whatever literary means, but I do know... And I'm not, I care about the sentence, and I care about prose, and I like to try to write a sentence that gives pleasure, whether it be with beauty or the sound of it. And so the books, even if they fall under pulp, like, because like when you read Donald Westlake uh, under his pseudonym Richard Stark, these, I've talked about this probably the last podcast, the crime novels about a character named Parker, you know, the writing is like out of a rivet gun and it, and it can be beautiful and has flourishes. Dashiell Hammett, you know, in his stories about the Continental Op, you know, he could sometimes describe a necktie in a way that was just glorious poetry. And then Chandler himself, of course, you know, wrote beautiful sentences. And then Dorothy Sayers, beautiful sentences within this pulp genre and anyway my so for years now I've had a fantasy about being a detective novel writer which was expressed itself in the TV show Bored to Death because that character has read so much Raymond Chandler that he thinks he can be a private detective in the same way one of the most famous pieces of literature that Don Quixote reads so many books of chivalry about knights that he thinks he's a knight. Mm -hmm. That he, you know. So I've often played with, well, at least in Bored to Death and in my novel Wake Up, Sir, the idea that books can sort of make you insane, maybe in a good way. In Wake Up, Sir, the character has read so much P.G. Woodhouse that he almost lives as if he's in a P.G. Woodhouse novel specifically the novels of Jeeves and Wooster, uh, the Wooster-Jeeves series of P.G. Woodhouse novels. I think there's 17 or 18 of them, short stories. But um, I, I, we took a break so that I could use the bathroom, uh, not to be gross, number one. But I have a thing with my toilet where it's like every other time I flush it, it keeps flushing. So I got to go up because I hear the water running. It drives me nuts. But I think that's a fun part of the interview. So.
Yeah, I don't know, like, I thought of going on the internet to find out, like, why sometimes you flush and it doesn't stop flushing. It just keeps... Yeah, and you gotta open up the lid and push that plunger down thing, whatever, but I don't know, like, what is it, like, my touch? Anyway, <laughs> I'm sure there's an easy solution. <laughs> But I, I also like the pulp covers. I, I tend to like them better than the other kind of covers because they, they, they try to be alluring in a different way than, you, you know, and they try to have just, you know, just, I don't know, some element of danger and sometimes even sexiness, let's say, whatever that might be. Um, and so, yeah, I, I love the old pulp covers. And I love the hard case crime series. They, they republish a lot of books and maybe I don't know if they use the original art or they but I'm really pleased with the two covers of a man named doll and the wheel of doll because part of my whole wish to write these kinds of books was also really loving the covers for these sorts of books you know they're, they're like you said they're a lot of times really interesting artists and just a funny little anecdote which I've shared before is that when um, in the first season of Bored to Death, uh, that we were coming up with what the opening titles to the show, and the opening titles to the show shows a pulp novel called Bored to Death, very much based on uh, I had gone into a meeting with this company that created the opening titles, showing them the covers of these Raymond Chandler books that I really liked that had been published in the late 70s, early 80s. So they, you know, that was their inspiration for this mock-up of the Bored to Death book, which opens up in the opening titles, and then you see words, and it was actually all the words from this original short story I wrote called Bored to Death. And so when I saw the mock-up of these various covers, you know, usually with a private detective with a hat and the suit on the front, something... I have to, I don't even, I haven't seen the show in years, so I don't even remember my own opening titles. But when they showed the mock-up of that cover, there was like, they gave me four or five choices or, you know, directions. And I looked at that and I said out loud, I said, I wish I had books with those kind of covers. And one of the writers said, Jonathan, you have a TV show. But like, which was a great gift from the universe that I should get, get a TV show, believe me. But um, but I still had this deep down wish to be a pulp writer. That was like the media that was most appealing to me. So thank you for liking the covers. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I, it's, I'm, it's part of the fun thing of writing this series is to, you know, and I think they've done really good with the first two. Yeah. So. No, they, they definitely evoke like, and then the font too, just mm. like, I think this is, I can't wait. You know, to have my huge collection of doll books. <laughs> yeah, and, and they have a similar spine, both mm -hmm. books, and then, yeah, and I, I maybe I should just keep doll always in the title. I, I have, I wrote a sentence, I wrote a piece, an essay, for this website. I think it's called Novel Suspects, and a friend of mine read it, and it, I was writing about these moments of unconsciousness in. Um, Raymond Chandler's books and I don't want to say the sentence out loud because in case I do use it as a title 
But a friend of mine said that part of that sentence would make a good title. And so I, I thought of that. I thought of using that and then underneath saying doll volume three, but, or doll number three, I don't know. Uh, anyway, on we go, <laughs> onward and inward. Jonathan, thank you so much for taking the time. It was, um, it was amazing having Fezzik in my lap and shedding all over me. Um, I'm quite, I think I'm wearing a sweater now. Oh my God. <laughs> it lo- yeah, it looks like an Angora sweater. It's like out of a John Waters movie. Yeah, yeah I'm an Ed Wood right now. Yeah. Um, thank you. The Will of Dogs, Alma Holland. Um, great book. And um, yeah, thank you for your graciousness and, and taking the time and your generosity. Thanks for chatting with me. Okay, take care. All right. Goodbye, even though you're right here.